Welcome back to America on Trial, the brand new daily podcast where we tell you all that you need to know to get through your day and feel prepared for this most consequential and monumental of presidential elections coming up this November. I'm Josh Hammer. I'm your host. And every day we are going to take you through the legal headlines, all the sprawling litigation, the lawfare, the Trump trials, the Biden trials, and all the other major legal headlines of the day. So you will feel prepared after a digestible and bite-sized analysis to get through the day and know what is in store in the day to come as we do approach this most historic of elections. Let's begin, as we always do, by going around the horn. So there was supposed to be a public hearing down today in Fulton County, Georgia, in which Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade was going to be asked for the first time publicly about his scandalous illicit relationship with District Attorney Fonnie Willis in Fulton County, Georgia, the woman who appointed him to lead the prosecution of President Trump down there in Fulton County in the sprawling RICO case, one of the four criminal prosecutions. This case has just totally gone topsy-turvy over the past couple of weeks as the allegations have surfaced, and not just allegations, we now know that they are true. We have the literal plane ticket receipts to show it that Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade have been romantically involved in the past. No shortage of corruption on that front. Adding insult to injury is the fact that we also now know that Fonnie Willis has been in direct contact with the Biden White House Counsel's Office when it comes to coordinating this lawfare, both the federal and the state level. So we were going to have that hearing today, but as it turns out, Nathan Wade who does not appear to be a particularly ethical man, as judged by his illicit involvings romantically with with Fonnie Willis, he actually went ahead and finished his temporary divorce settlement that happened just yesterday, thus mooting and obviating the need for today's hearing down in Fulton County. Next on the calendar in Fulton County, we're expecting a big hearing coming up here on February 15th. This involves all of what we just talked about, we're ultimately going to have an evidentiary evidentiary hearing here, and the judge is going to determine whether or not Fonnie Willis is fit to stand and prosecute this case to begin with. Now, don't get your hopes up too much. It is worth reiterating that even if it is ultimately found that Fonnie Willis cannot prosecute this case, what is likely to happen is that they would try to move the case to a different jurisdiction there in the state of Georgia. But having said that, that could be quite propitious for former President Trump as the nature of the jury pool in deep blue far left Fulton County was one of the major problems for him in the first place. That's all a little bit premature for now, but for the time being, suffice it to say that things are slowing down there in Fulton County, Georgia. And also just looking back at the calendar that, that trial is not supposed to start right now anyway until August. And right now, the date on the calendar is August 5th. That could be totally topsy-turvy by then. There's a lot, lot to get through. That's just the nature of the beats there. Again, the very nature of the delays built into these criminal trials is one of the factors very much militating in favor of the former president. Yesterday, there was also a big vote out in the state of Illinois, not exactly a a bastion of Trumpist MAGA support, no matter what Jussie Smollett would tell you. Let's go back and remember that whole outrageous farce back in January of 2019. In any event, yesterday you had the eight-member Special State Officers Electoral Board in Illinois. They cast a vote as to whether Donald Trump should 
be booted off of their own ballot there in Illinois. And as the case may be, they actually voted to keep him on the ballot. The eight-member board of elections there voted unanimously to keep former President Donald Trump on the ballot ahead of the March 19th primary date there in there in Illinois. The very simple reason for this, again, to go back to the Jesse Smollett thing, Chicago, Illinois, this is not MAGA country, folks. This is not a deep red jurisdiction there. The very straightforward reason as to why the eight-member special state officers electoral board in Illinois probably vote to keep Donald Trump on the ballot is because we have a huge oral, oral argument at the Supreme Court one week from tomorrow on February 8th. That is the appeal out of Colorado from the Colorado Supreme Court relating to the exact same legal question as to whether Donald Trump is banned from the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, the so-called Insurrection Clause. Spoiler alert, he is not banned. We will do a deep dive later on the show at a future time to explain exactly why that is the case. But that probably would explain why Illinois has voted not to remove him at this time, because the Supreme Court presumably is going to settle this question for all of us in the not-so-distant future. Now, also today on the legal calendar in New York State, Justice Arthur Ngoron, who is the vehemently anti-Trump New York State judge who is overseeing the bone-chilling and deeply harrowing fraud fishing expedition that is from New York Attorney General Tish James against the Trump Organization. Truly harrowing, bone-chilling stuff when it comes to, I mean, think about what it means if you are a prospective entrepreneur or small business owner there in New York State. What does it say to you about your viability of actually accumulating capital and getting loans and starting a small business if the power of the state can be wielded? to accuse your entire organization, your startup, in this case, organization, of fraud, simply, simply because they don't like the way that you have appraised your properties, secured your loans. It's, it's absolutely maddening stuff. Nonetheless, because Tish James is seeking upwards of $370 million in damages, my God. But for that reason alone, this is a very, very big deal. Justice and Goron there, in this case today, is actually set to file his written decision. Therefore, we could get an actual ruling there in this case, potentially as soon as this week. We're looking probably at next week there at the latest. So stay tuned for that. That is one of the next balls to, to drop here as well. All of these stories just really heating up. That and the question of ballot access, the 14th Amendment question reaching the Supreme Court next week, two of the things that we are very much keeping a close eye on here on America on Trial. Politico this morning, speaking of Washington, D.C. and the Jack Smith federal prosecution there, Politico has has a new article out this morning titled the article, quote, as judges mull presidential immunity, Trump reaps the benefits of, del of delay. The basic article here, we are still waiting on a decision from the three judge panel that overheard the interlocutory appeal earlier this month from Trump and his lawyers. From the D.C. Circuit, so if you recall there, Judge Tanya Chutkin had denied Trump's sprawling plenary claim of full presidential immunity for actions that he took while he was serving as president. He appealed that to the D.C. Circuit, and we are waiting there for the ruling still on the three-judge panel. So no set time necessarily for them to give us that word. Right now, the trial in D.C. back in the district court with Judge Chutkin is technically slated to begin on March 4th. I find it very, very, very difficult to believe that they are actually going to get that in time, regardless of what this three-judge panel in the D.C. Circuit rules when it comes to the question of presidential immunity. The losing party is probably going to end up kicking this up to the United States Supreme Court. 
which would just delay matters even further there. As I've said before, I happen to think that the legal argument that Trump and his lawyers, some very skilled appellate advocates like John Sauer and Will Scharf, I, I happen to think that this is a serious, non-frivolous legal argument, no matter what the mainstream media likes to say about it. The executive power of the United States is is a very, very fulsome term, it is a legal term of art. We'll go do a deep dive on that in a later episode there. But despite the fact that I think that their argument is serious and indeed probably correct, I do not expect that argument to actually prevail at the D.C. Circuit if I'm just putting on my prediction hat there and trying to place a, a friendly wager of sorts as to what is going to happen. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So with that around the horn, let's go into today's deep dive. House Republicans appear set to try to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on the floor of the U.S. House. They do not have many votes to lose. This is a very, very close call. They have a very narrow majority in the House, and you have some folks who are set to retire, like Ken Buck from Colorado, who have gone wobbly on similar votes in the past. But they're finally doing it. Now, as a pure matter of politics, I and many others said as recently as oh, a year, year and a half, maybe even two years ago, that they should go down this route. From my perspective, again, we're talking here about pure politics, not the law, there was no need to go down the route of James Comer and the House Oversight Committee and going to impeach Joe Biden on somewhat half-baked grounds, if we're being intellectually honest here, rather than pursuing the very straightforward, low-hanging fruit of impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas. There was no reason to do that. I think that Mayorkas was the, was the move all along. We at Newsweek published an op-ed from the stalwart conservative from Arizona, Congressman Andy Biggs. We published that last February, where he talked about impeaching Mayorkas. I read that at the time, and I just nodded my head, and I said, this is right. Nonetheless, holding the politics aside, now that they are going to go ahead and pursue this, House Republicans, that is, you're getting all of the old arguments about impeachment on both sides from a legal perspective there. So these arguments come up seemingly every time that an official, a president of the United States or, or a cabinet official, seemingly every time that someone is facing articles of impeachment, you get these same arguments come up. Does it count? Does it not count? Is it legitimate? Is it, is it not legitimate? And sure enough, you know, ever reliable. Overnight, you had a new editorial draw from the Wall Street Journal editorial board, which, uh, you know, I agree with them more often than not. We're broadly speaking, of course, on the same side of the aisle, you might say, but they do speak for the RNC, for the Republican establishment, and they have a new editorial out 
warning that, quote, a policy dispute doesn't qualify as a high crime and misdemeanor. So this gets us back into the area of of the law. And what does the actual Constitution say when it comes to the impeachment of the president or cabinet officials there? Let's start, as we have to do, with the text. That means Article 2, Section 4 of the Constitution, which reads, quote, The president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. First of all, just a teaser for that future deep dive episode on the 14th Amendment Section 3 Insurrection Clause question, the question that will be at the U.S. Supreme Court next Thursday, teed up out of the appeal from Colorado when it comes to ballot access for Donald Trump. Teaser. This clause, Section 4 of Article 2, begins, quote, the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States. Why would you enumerate president, vice president, and all civil officers unless the president and the vice president were clearly not part of the broader sweeping label and umbrella of, quote, civil officers of the United States? Well, you obviously wouldn't. President and vice president, therefore, are obviously not civil officers of the, of the United States under the Constitution's use of that term of art, civil officers of the United States. It is noteworthy that the folks who are pursuing the 14th Amendment disqualification of the ballot with respect to Donald Trump have to make the argument that the president is a, quote, officer of the United States because the term president does actually not appear there in that constitutional provision. Again, we're gonna, we'll go deep in this in a future episode, but for present purposes, I just want to flag for you that these folks cannot have it both ways. Either officers of the United States, as the term is repeatedly used in the Constitution, either it refers to not just cabinet officials, but also the president and the vice president, or it does not. I think section four of article two of the constitution, which we just read to you, is very clear that the president, the vice president are not, quote, officers of the United States. Again, hold that aside. We'll go deeper at a later time. For now, let's focus on the latter parts of this very important constitutional provision. I'll read the whole section again because it's short. Quote, the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. So what is the impeachment criteria? It is, quote, treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Well, treason and bribery are fairly straightforward. To borrow the infamous phrase from a Supreme Court ruling that, of all things, actually had to do with pornography, you kind of know when you see it, when it comes to treason or bribery. There are also any number of federal congressional statutes on the books that deal with these two particular offenses. Usually, usually when we are talking about questions of presidential impeachment or impeachment of cabinet officials, usually we are talking about the catch-all provision there, quote, high crimes and misdemeanors. Now, on the one hand, you have folks, and these folks typically tend to be criminal defense lawyers by training, folks who defend people who are charged with various things for a living. They're usually civil libertarians. They usually don't like the notion of people ever being guilty of anything. These folks typically tend to argue that high crimes and misdemeanors actually means literally that, that you actually need to be found guilty in a court of law for some sort of crime, for a black letter criminal statute that you've violated some section of the U.S. code, like a federal crime, racketeering, RICO, whatever, 
million other examples, obviously. This is the position of folks like Alan Dershowitz, who I've actually exchanged some emails over the years with on this very question. I think that he is very wrong. I believe this is also the position of Jonathan Turley, who, although he often seems to be right of center by default these days, he still is similar to Dershowitz, a civil libertarian at, at his core. I believe that they agree on this question. I, I very much disagree with this. And I disagree with this for the very simple reason that the most direct writing from the framers, from the founding fathers on this question, disproves it, I would say, in its entirety. It comes from Alexander Hamilton in The Federalist Number 65. Alexander Hamilton, the most prolific writer of the Federalist Papers, he wrote the most of them, probably the most underappreciated founding father out there, if I had to name one. Governor Morris, maybe John Jay. There's a lot of people in contention for that particular honor, but... Hamilton was an intellectual heavyweight, certainly the leading intellect or one of the leading intellects, along with John Adams, maybe, of the original Federalist Party. He writes here in the second paragraph of the Federalist number 65, quote, A well-constituted court for the trial of impeachments is an object not more to be desired than difficult to be obtained in a government wholly elective. And here's the key part. Quote, the subjects of its jurisdiction are those offenses which proceed from the misconduct of public men or, in other words, from the abuse or violation of some public trust. They are of a nature which may with, with peculiar propriety be denominated political as they relate chiefly to injuries done immediately to the society itself. What Hamilton is saying here, and he's talking about the explicitly political courts of impeachment, the trial in the Senate, political, by the way, in all caps here. So he's making this point quite clear. These are not criminal courts. These are political jurisdictions. What is the subject? Meaning what can you be impeached for? Meaning what do high crimes and misdemeanors consist of, as that term is used? Quote, the misconduct of public men, or in other words, from the abuse or violation of some public trust. He is talking here about something much more than simply violating a black letter criminal statute. He is talking about violating that bond, that oath. When you raise your hand, put your other hand in the Bible, that oath, that solemn vow that you take to secure the interests of your citizens, that bond that going back thousands of years has always connected in the true sense of political statesmanship, the leader to the people that he represents, at least, going, at least in the history of lowercase r, Republican self-governance. Monarchy is a slightly different story here. But you're fundamentally violating that, quote, public trust at a very high ethereal level. It's something much more profound than just a black letter criminal statute, a RICO charge, racketeering, whatever. And again, it is explicitly political. It is not criminal per se. With that in mind, if you look at what Alejandro Mayorkas has done at the border, the, for the most recent month for which we have data, a historically unprecedented number of illegal aliens invading across that border. If you look at that combined with the annual data we now have for years and years, the number of crossings, the number of gotaways, the obstinate, stubborn, and indeed malicious, not merely incompetent, but actually outright malicious refusal of this administration— 
from Joe Biden down, but very much including the feckless DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. If you look at their refusal, their malicious refusal to enforce this nation's immigration laws, tell me how that is not, quote, the abuse or violation of some public trust. If you don't think it is exactly that, I don't know what you're smoking. I really just don't. Of course, Alejandro Mayorkas should be impeached. I wish House Republicans the best in their efforts to do so. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.